0: Welcome to Team Pete's Talk's newest series focused on nurse practitioner leadership and career development, brought to you by the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, or NAPNAP, an organization of experts in pediatrics and advocates for children. Thank you for joining us today for our episode. This series of podcasts includes conversations with expert leaders in pediatric healthcare with a focus on advancing career development And leading change. I am your host, Dr. Andrea Klein Tilford, NAPNAP's Executive Board President. I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner, nurse practitioner director at C.S. Mott Children's Hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and a mother of two children. Greetings. I am so excited to welcome you to this episode on pediatric nurse practitioner burnout and strategies to promote resilience in our workforce. I am joined today. By a pediatric nurse practitioner workforce and resiliency expert, Dr. Kristen Hiddle Geely. Dr. Geely is one of the nation's experts on pediatric focused nurse practitioner workforce. She is a nationally recognized speaker and recently contributed to NAPNAP's position statement on resilience in the post pandemic nurse practitioner workforce. It is such a pleasure to be joined by her today. I would like to start out by asking Dr. Geely to tell us a little bit about herself and her professional experience.
1: Hi, it's so good to be here today. I am an acute care pediatric nurse practitioner, and my clinical practice is in the pediatric intensive care unit. I also work as a health services researcher at the University of Texas at Arlington, where I study the pediatric Focus nurse practitioner workforce and try and understand how we can support and grow that workforce to help take care of kids. Resilience is a huge part of that and managing burnout is essential. And so this is a really important topic
0: and I'm happy to be here today to talk about it. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited about this discussion. So let's start out with talking a little bit about burnout. What is it? Is this something that's a new phenomenon associated with the COVID-19 pandemic? Or is this something that's been around for a long time?
1: So burnout is considered a syndrome, and there's really three characteristics of burnout. One is a high level of emotional exhaustion. It's associated with a high degree of depersonalization. Um, An example of that would be cynicism um, as you deal with patients and families. And the third element of burnout is a low sense of accomplishment from your work. And I think that we consider burnout to be something that is more recent, but studies have been Um, conducted looking at burnout since the 1970s. So this is a phenomenon that has been studied for more than 50 years. Um, And it wasn't until 2019 that the degree of severity of clinician burnout rose to the level of kind of national prominence. But the National Academy of Medicine in 2019 published a report looking at clinician burnout. And they, in their review of literature, found somewhere between a third and half of all nurses and doctors prior to the pandemic, reported substantial symptoms of burnout. And so a really big problem in the workforce, even before the pandemic, which is really, I think, what most people consider and think about burnout in that context. They attribute the high levels of burnout to how the healthcare system has changed over time, though. They point to things that have changed related to documentation and changes in reimbursement, that have really changed the workload for clinicians, increase in the time pressures, the number of patients people need to see in the day. We know that technology has changed how we interact with patients um, and our focus on documenting things in the computer versus face-to-face. And then I think in pediatrics in particular, we've seen an increase in the number of moral and ethical dilemmas as kids with complex chronic conditions have survived um, infancy into childhood and we're managing their chronic diseases and that has become challenging for our workforce. But there's also concerns about managing work and life balance. Um, and all of this is housed in the demand for higher quality care, always pushing for higher, better, more care. And so the World Health Organization has taken a view on burnout, uh, that it's really not a mental health problem that's anything wrong with an individual provider, but it's a problem with employment. And so, I think we need to use that as the context to think about how we solve burnout. Um, it's an employment related phenomenon, and we have to make systemic changes to improve burnout, to improve clinician well being.
0: Well, thank you so much on that history, as well as framing it for us. That was really helpful. So, when thinking about all of this, how worried should we be, Kristen?
1: Unfortunately, I think we should be worried. Um, It has cost for not just us as clinicians, but for the community as a whole. On a personal level, burnout is associated with adverse outcomes for us as clinicians. There are increased rates of occupational health injuries, people getting hurt while they're at work. Um, And outside of work, there's increased problematic use of alcohol and increased risk for suicide um, among healthcare providers that have burnout. As we think about what the impacts are though for the society as a whole, um, we know that provider burnout increases um, adverse patient safety events. Um, so worsening care delivery for patients with more malpractice claims. There's decreased patient satisfaction and we actually become less effective at communicating with patients and their families as we as providers have burnout. And then our employers should worry because burnout is associated with increased absenteeism and turnover, and it really affects productivity. And so as we're trying to optimize people's ability to contribute to care, burnout uh, impacts that dramatically. And it really is going to take a whole of healthcare systematic change to make this better. This is a tremendous problem um, that will result in um, really Needing to think about structural and cultural changes in healthcare to address burnout.
0: Wow. Yeah, you've really laid it out there that we have a lot of work ahead of us in order to tackle this problem. So, Kristen, what are the risks or implications associated with a pediatric focused nurse practitioner workforce that is burned out? So
1: it's always a challenge to look at a particular piece of the workforce. We always think about kind of workforce in, in total. Um, and we, for the first time uh, early in the pandemic, gained some insight into the pediatric focused nurse practitioner workforce as it relates to burnout. So um, Dr. Peck and Dr. Sony did a study, and that was one of the questions that they asked. Going into the pandemic, We knew that there were workforce shortages. We knew that we needed more pediatric-focused nurse practitioners. Um, And then in the pandemic, dramatically changed healthcare for pediatric-focused nurse practitioners. There were changes to workload and patterns of work. Some people worked a lot more, some people worked a lot less. Uh, There were changes to how we interacted with our patients and our families, whether that meant that you were doing all of your care through telehealth when you used to see everybody in the office, or if you worked in the hospital, all of a sudden patients couldn't have family members staying with them um, during their hospitalization. Those changes were disruptive and we were constantly getting new information. How do you deal with the pandemic? How do you treat it? How is it transmitted? How, um, how do we interact with other people? There was so much new information that was always coming out about the pandemic. And so with that context, they looked at burnout and found at the beginning of the pandemic about 80 percent of pediatric focused nurse practitioners reported some level of burnout and about a third of them reported significant levels of burnout and so in the moment and in that context we can understand um, that it's a problem as we go forward and the pandemic subsides or, or becomes kind of a low burn, um, it's unclear how impactful the pandemic will be um, on burnout in the workforce. But it is clear that it will have impacts on performance. Burnout affects performance. And so we want to be able to give high quality care. Um, we need to be able to give high quality care because our patients depend on that. And so that I think is the threat. Um, at this point in time is how do we ensure that we continue to give high quality care even though we're dealing with burnout in our workforce? And so while we're working to address burnout, we, can, we, we need
0: to shift our focus to that quality piece. Tell us more. So once someone is burned out, you know, can we reverse this process or is that gonna lead to you know higher rates of, of individuals that are exiting the field? So we need to
1: think about burnout as a spectrum. Um, and the ends of the spectrum are extreme burnout and people leaving the workforce. And the other end is clinician well being and people who are engaged and feeling good about their, their job and their contribution to healthcare. And individuals will fall somewhere on that spectrum. And we all have different vulnerabilities and different abilities to respond to the threat of burnout. And so it's individual capacity to deal with and approach workplace stress. That determines how we fall on that spectrum of burnout to well-being. Um, and so um, by supporting resilience and giving the workforce strategies to deal with stress um, and the workplace um, changes that happen, we are more likely to be able to be successful in empowering clinicians to be on that wellness and well-being end of the spectrum instead of on the burnout end of the spectrum.
0: Great, thank you. So as an author on NAPNAP's position statement on resilience and post pandemic pediatric nurse practitioner workforce, can you tell our listeners a little bit about resilience? We hear this term a lot, but what does it really mean? Yeah, it's one of those buzz terms
1: that we talk about all the time
0: and maybe need to step back
1: and think about what it actually means. And so in healthcare, we know that change happens constantly. We're always dealing with new procedures and new diagnoses and new everything. The process is always changing and evolving. And so that disruption is part of our life. And we know that uncertainty is baked into what it is that we do. We never know when we start a day, if we're gonna be done at the end of our shift or if our shift is gonna be three hours longer because some crisis has happened and we are needing to stay and address that. And resilience helps us cope with these things with that uncertainty and that change that we deal with and the process of building resilience is something that happens over our lifetime there's no maximum amount of resilience we can always be doing something to create more ability to be resilient and it's hard to say this now at the kind of flip side of the pandemic but it's best to try and build resilience before these big systemic shocks happen. And so as we think we're getting toward the tail end or at least a wall in this pandemic, this is the time to be thinking about how we can build resilience to deal with the next crisis that comes along because th- there will be another crisis. Um, and so um, we need to have diverse strategies to build resilience and Hopefully, as we build our ability to be resilient, as we adapt to new circumstances, um, we are better able to cope. We can have new plans of attack, new actions we can take. Uh, nurses are so good at workarounds, um, and resilience is really coming up with ways to create workarounds for us to mentally cope with the situations that we find ourselves in it.
0: So what are some of the strategies that individuals can use to bolster their own resilience, really both in the workplace and at home and in their personal life?
1: I think that this starts with a personal awareness. If we can understand our strengths and our assets, we can take a stock of what our liabilities might be or our vulnerabilities, what the things that really push our buttons and will make us crazy. Um, We can prepare for disruptions and think about strategies that we can use to respond to these changes and disruptions that happen in our daily work life. And there are some diverse strategies that we can employ as individual clinicians and human beings to help build our resilience. They include things like self-care, and this is always easier said than done, but things like maintaining a healthy diet, and exercising, getting outside and seeing sunshine and fresh air, um, decreasing our alcohol intake and avoiding unhealthy behaviors like smoking and vaping. All of those self care things will help give us a kind of baseline buffer that we can work from. And then we work on well being behaviors. We can do things like um, gratitude journals and using mindfulness techniques, um, things like cognitive behavioral therapy. Things that can promote um, our resilience and our well being are really key. And then it's important to know when we need to seek resources and support for well being as well. And it can be something simple like engaging in social activities. The pandemic isolated us from our friends and our family in many instances. And so, safely getting back together with friends and family can be enough to help increase your resilience. Um, but it may need to be professional support. Uh, this isn't something that people should feel bad about. Um, and if you are feeling like you're burnt out, you are stressed or anxious and depressed, there's nothing wrong with getting mental health support. This pandemic and these times have been unprecedented, and um, we need to support ourselves and our well being any way we can. And so, um, again, a range of strategies that people can employ. Um, But there's lots of things that we can do to to build our resilience.
0: Well, great. Thank you so much. Those are some really terrific suggestions. Now, what about strategies when you identify a coworker or a teammate that you suspect may be feeling a little burnout? Are there some strategies that we can use to help our colleagues? There are. And
1: I go back to this notion of social connection. We rely so much on interaction with other people um, to help us know what's normal even. And so start by reaching out to your teammates and working on building team cohesion and collaboration. And how can your colleagues and teammates work to create a healthy work environment where you can talk about things that might be stressful or think your degree of burnout so that you can work together to identify things that need to change in your workplace. One of the things that's been really successful is the implementation of debriefings in workplaces, bringing in somebody who may work in your same um, work environment that maybe has a different role, a social worker, a chaplain, um, or even considering bringing a counselor in from outside of your workplace to help go through debriefings. If you haven't had one to talk about the pandemic in your workplace, now might be the time to think about having a pandemic debriefing. But make these debriefings routine. If you have a difficult patient, if you have a difficult family, that is a situation where you can bring in an external person to help your team debrief and identify ways that if the situation happens again, you can be smarter um, and work more efficiently to take care of them and try and decrease the effects of burnout. And then lastly, it's again, normalizing this idea of Getting mental health support if you need it. There's no, there should be no shame associated with recognizing that you need support to deal with all of the things that we've gone through in the past few years. And so, if you're in an environment where your colleagues need support, make them feel okay about asking for support Um, and ask for it yourself if you need it as well. Um, We have to work together to get through this and. Sometimes we need help from other people to get us through.
0: You are absolutely right. Such such great advice. So let's take it a step further. Do you have recommendations for how workplaces can assist in addressing burnout and encouraging resilience among their staff? So
1: this is the most important area where we can make change. If our workplaces don't change, it doesn't matter how resilient we are. We really need our employers to help us so that we can employ our resilience capabilities in the workplace when we need it. And so there are some things that we think that workplaces can do to help us uh, deal with burnout and increase resilience. Some of them are easy, some of them are hard, and some of them we don't understand. So the things that are easy are showing value for pediatric focused nurse practitioners. Employers can do things like increasing the visibility of the pediatric focus nurse practitioners in their practice, whether that's putting them on the website, um, sending out blurbs to families about the presence of these people in the practice, but really showing that they're a part of the team um, and are included in the, the activities of the practice or the hospital. The other thing they can do to show value is to make sure we have the things we need to be safe. Um, That is, that's gotten better as the pandemic has gone on, but that's things like making sure that we have appropriate PPE. Um, And that our teams are comprised of people who are able to help us adequately and appropriately manage the patients that we're being asked to care for. Some of the things that will take time um, because of the nature of healthcare and the way that healthcare changes um, relate to how healthcare is structured. Um, And that is, work that is going to take place over years, um, but we need to be part of encouraging the change. And so our employers need to help us with work-life balance. And that includes adequate staffing with reasonable work hours and reasonable patient loads. We need to be able to have time to rest and take breaks at work um, so that we can recharge and tap into our resilient skills um, while we're in the workplace. And they, if we need to access mental health care, um, they need to help support that by giving us time away. Um, if we work from 7am to 7pm every day, it's really hard to get mental health care. And so having employers who are flexible and give time for people to get the help that they need is really important. As the system changes. Um, and they make interventions and and employ strategies to make work-life balance better it's really important that they communicate those changes to us and that they're transparent so that we understand where they are in the process of trying to address these changes and how long is it going to take until we have enough staff and what is our strategy to make sure that we have the supplies that we need and so clearly communicating with the team is essential but The thing that's hardest is that, and this came out in the National Academy report in 2019, is while we know that workplace level interventions to improve burnout and build resilience are the most important and kind of have the biggest global impact on the workforce, that's the area where we know the least. We have very few studies that have looked at what interventions are most effective at decreasing burnout and improving resilience. And so we need our employers to start studying this. Um, And we need to be willing to participate in the studies that our employers do, looking at interventions that they can implement to improve burnout um, and and increase resilience. And so as we learn more and get further out from the pandemic, I think these studies will happen, Um, but really getting a sense of what interventions are most effective is going to be important to deploying them to all employers across the country.
0: Well, thank you, Kristen. Let's take this from another prong in terms of prong, another prong of the approach. What can professional organizations like NAPNAP be doing to encourage a more resilient workforce?
1: It's interesting, there's a lot they can do and it's about bringing people together again. Um, we have been apart for so long, working in isolation and giving pediatric focused nurse practitioners an opportunity and a forum to come together and connect and share experiences is a huge first step to processing all that we've been through and thinking about how we can work together to create safer work environments. Now can also advocate on a level that as individuals can be difficult to do um, and that advocacy is around work-based policies to improve the work environment and provide resources for mental health. And so NAPNOP can help us within our own institutions by doing things like publishing position statements that we can show to our employers saying, here are the things that our organization thinks that we need um, to be better, uh, to have less burnout, to be more resilient and be better workers for you. But it's also advocacy at the state and federal level for money. Um, to implement these changes. Um, It's gonna take money to have more staff, to have access to mental health care resources. And so those are things that NAPNAP can do for us um, that we can't do necessarily as a single individual. It's the collective
0: voice of the organization that can accomplish those things. Great, thank you. Now, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but now that we're two years into the pandemic, Do you have any projections for what burnout may look like in another year or two? I wish I had a crystal ball. Um,
1: We know that about 100,000 nurses have left the workforce during the pandemic. Now, not all of those nurses are pediatric nurses. Not all of them are nurse practitioners, but that's a huge exit from the workforce in a relatively short period of time. We know in balance to that, that in 2021, there was an increase in enrollment in nursing schools. And so despite the fact that people are leaving the profession during the pandemic for a multitude of reasons, there are people who are interested in becoming nurses and helping address the healthcare needs of the country. And so I hope that in a year or two, we are starting to see the investments that people are making now on programs and research that look at burnout and ways to increase resiliency are starting to come to fruition. We start to have an understanding of what works um, in institutions in particular to increase um, resilience. And then we know where to focus for changes in the future. But one of the key things about resilience is that at the end and on the other side of whatever crisis happens, there's revitalization. And to me, revitalization is new life and opportunities to inject energy and vigor into um, a situation after the crisis happens. And so that gives us maybe and hopefully a once in a lifetime opportunity to think about how we can change healthcare. Um, What would a new work environment look like if we could change things? Um, How would we interact with our patients? How would we interact with our colleagues? how would we engage the community in improving health outcomes um, and preventing adverse health um, conditions, things like chronic diseases. And so this is our chance to use this time to think about a new vision for the future of nursing and really engage and pull people into not what we have now, but what the future can be as we rebuild and think about a resilient workforce.
0: Excellent, thank you so much for your um, crystal or not so crystal ball, Um, (laughs) appreciate that. So in February, NAPNAP issued an official statement applauding Congress's passage of the Dr. Lorna Breen Healthcare Provider Protection Act and it was subsequently signed into law by the president. Can you tell us a little bit about the act and how it will help pediatric focused nurse practitioners and our colleagues? This is a really exciting bill that
1: was passed. Dr. Breen was an emergency department physician in New York City who was at the forefront of the early days of the pandemic. And working in the emergency department, every day was overwhelming. Every day people were dying. It was really a horrible, horrible time. And she ended up dying of suicide in April of 2020. And her family vowed that that no one else should have to go through that experience and lose a loved one as a result of suicide related to workplace burnout um, and stress. And so they worked really hard to make this bill a reality. And it starts to um, address some of the things that we've talked about. It gives money to help build resilient strategies in healthcare providers in hopes of decreasing healthcare providers risk for suicide and decreasing substance use disorders. They want to be able to disseminate evidence-based resiliency practices to to hospitals across the country. And so it is funding to understand what those programs look like and how we can get them uh, disseminated to hospitals across the country. It provides grants for education, um, peer support programs, and um, individuals mental and behavioral health treatment as well. And so there's lots of strategies that they're trying to use to address resilience in the workforce. But they realized too, that we need to understand the long-term complications and implications of the pandemic. And so this is a short-term kind of infusion of money to get things going, but has long-term implications as we try and understand years out from now, what has the pandemic done to the workforce and how will it affect our mental health um, as we get years out from the pandemic?
0: Great, this has been such an exciting discussion with you today. Um, Before we wrap up, I do have one last question for you. uh, On your journey to become a nurse practitioner leader, what one piece of advice has been most impactful for you along your leadership journey? As we think about burnout and resilience, I think it's important to
1: recognize um, one of the things that we can do, which is be aware and understand what our strengths and our assets are. And so as we think about being aware of our strengths and assets, I think that the one piece of advice that I would say was most impactful was this notion that while there are lots of healthcare providers out there, there's one thing that you are exclusively qualified to do, and you as an individual need to work to find that one thing um, that you love to do that makes you passionate every day that you want to get out of bed to do. And if you can find that thing that makes you get out of bed and want to go, even in the bad days, um. You can um, you have a baseline from which you can remember the good days and why you started to do this one thing in the first place. So find your space, uh, claim it, and when you're having dark days, go back and revisit why that's your space and why it is you're doing what you're doing.
0: I love that piece of advice, and it just fits in so well with the discussion that we've had today. So I would like to thank you, Dr. Geely, for joining me today on Team PEDS Talks. It has been such a pleasure to discuss addressing burnout and building resilience. This is such a critical discussion and a topic that requires more attention from clinicians, educators, policymakers, and so many more. I encourage all of our listeners to check out NAPNAP's position statement that can be found in the March-April 2022 issue of the Journal of Pediatric Healthcare or on NAPNAP.org. Thank you so much for being here, and thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. Thank you for joining on this episode of Team Pete's Talks, focused on nurse practitioner leadership and career development please listen to our entire series, which launches episodes on Thursdays. The National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners has other Team Pete's Talks podcasts to share with the pediatric healthcare community, including conversations on child health equity, child and adolescent mental health, and pediatric emergency care. Thank you for joining.